going to start off with a little bit of a review. Uh, pastor asked me uh, last week what I was thinking about preaching on, and I had a few ideas, and he said, well, you know, he said, if the Lord leads you, he said, you can go ahead and finish out the sit-walk stand. I said, well, okay, I'll pray about it. And I didn't have to pray about it long. <laughs> I know when he comes back, he's going to be full of other things to share. And I really do like this message. I've preached it before, as a matter of fact. It's based on the work of Watchman Nee. And Watchman Nee was a really interesting guy. He was born in 1903 in China. He was saved through the Plymouth Brethren, went to school with them, and became a leader of the indigenous church in China. And when the missionaries all got kicked out, it was Nee and others like him that really kept the church going. And he wrote, I think, around a hundred different books. And all of this was done before 1952. Because in 1952, the communist government arrested Watchman Nee. And they put him in jail. And he spent the rest of his life there. He died in 1972. The only visitor he was allowed was his wife. He never got a chance to get out to see her. She died actually a few years before he did in, in prison. But he wrote some, some wonderful stuff. And the little book that we've been getting this from is called Sit, Walk, Stand. And there's another book that Watchman Nee wrote called The Spiritual Man. And it's basically Sit, Walk, Stand's about this thick. Spiritual Man's about that thick. And it basically three books, and it's pretty much the same format as sit, walk, stand. Our position in Christ when we're born again, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. could also be said this way, it's where we are spiritually. The walking part is where we walk out our salvation with our church family. How we treat other people. Walk worthy. Walk in love, Paul said. So that part of it can be... It can be compared to our minds, our spirit, soul, our mind, our will, and our emotion. And the last part, stand, has a lot to do with our bodies. And how we protect ourselves and how we, we fight against the enemy. And that's what the spiritual man is. It breaks it down into spirit, soul, body, and who we are, what we are in Christ. So the first part of sitting is Ephesians 1 and verse 15. And it says, for this, Paul says, For this reason I have, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is a good prayer to pray. In the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then in the second chapter, beginning in verse 4, it says, if I can find where 4 is, yeah. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're sitting on a throne. We're sitting there with the king. See, Western people don't understand kingship and king. We really don't. Because we got a president we elect every four years. We've got representatives and senators, and we elect them to go up there and make laws and more or less tell the folks what we want. Amen? Tell them what we want. You don't tell the king what you want. The king tells you what you want. <laughs> Amen? He tells you what you want. And Jesus is the king. And he has placed us next to him. We don't fight for victory. We walk in the victory that Christ has already won for us. Amen. Brother Hagin said it like this. You don't have to make it happen. Just let it happen. There's rest in that. Seating is rest. There's rest. No matter what comes against me, I remember where my position is. I am seated next to Christ in heavenly places. I like what Pastor Hankins used to say about Christ being at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. In other words, he's praying for us. Pastor Mark used to say it like this. He said, I think if Christ is praying for me, I'm going to make it. Amen? Think about that sometime when you're going through something tough. If Christ, Jesus, is praying for you, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Now, walking. Let's look at walking real quick. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling that you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And verse 31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave up himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We're to walk with the people that God places us with in the church and in the workplace and in our family in love and forgiveness. Remember Paul said, and I'm going to get to this in a little bit, our warfare is not with people. Our warfare is with powers and principalities and things in the heavens and evil and evil spirits and that's what our armor is for and that's what our, where our warfare is. Remember? Jesus told Pilate, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But his servants are fighting, but they're fighting in the, the warfare that he called us to fight in. It's not people. God loves the sinner. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. 
And you're not going to ever make converts and you're not going to ever be an effective witness if you don't love people. You have to love people. You have to forgive people. That's hard to do. Somebody hurt you or even worse, somebody hurt your children. Whoo! Talk about Mama Bear. I've seen that come out. And Papa Bear too. <laughs> you mess with me, but don't mess with my kids. That's hard to forgive when something like that happens. Really, really hard to forgive. But we have to do it. We're commanded to do it. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I like what they, did. they asked Jesus. They said, what's the greatest commandment? Because the Jews were big old commandments. God gave them 10 and they added another 630. <laughs> Amen. They were big old commandments. They like commandments. So they asked Jesus. They said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, there's really there's two. The first one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Second one is, he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And when I hear that, I think of a big curtain rod. And big curtains hanging from it. He said, from these two commandments, everything hangs. And if you think about it, if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to keep half the commandments just right there, whether I know them or not. And if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to keep the other half of the commandments, whether I know them or not. So even without the commandments, if I do those two things, I'm doing pretty good. I'm trying to do pretty good. We don't all make it, but we try to do pretty good. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 10. Get to the last part, the standing part. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, why for? You see a therefore, you look what it's, why it's therefore. So it usually references the reason for something above it. And that's, this is the reason we're fixing to read is the reason for that that was above it. Because our warfare is against powers and principality. Take up the whole armor of God. Oh, I'm sorry. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you may extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and with all supplication. I want to begin talking about the first piece of armor he tells us to put on. He says to gird up yourself with the belt of truth. The belt of truth. John 8.32, Jesus was telling him, he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now a lot of new translations, even the one I'm using, and I like it, I'm, I'm kind of into the ESV right now. A lot of the newer translations says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a difference. There's a big difference. Words mean something. 
That's why when you study the Bible, you should have two or three different translations. You should also have a good Hebrew Greek dictionary so you can go in and look at a particular word and see exactly how it's meant to be said in there. It's a big difference in setting something free and making something free. Amen? Don't sound like it, but there is. When you say set free, you think of opening a birdcage door or opening a gate, letting the cows or the horses out. You're setting them free. Open the pen, let the dog out. You're setting him free. That's kind of instantaneous. It brings to mind. You know, it's, okay, he's free. Open the gate, he's free. But you'll know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will make you free. It's a process. Getting free is a process. You know, we come to the Lord, we get all excited, we get saved, and hallelujah, everything's good. We're ready to go out and tackle the world, and we get out there, and bam, 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 we start getting hit. We start getting hit. Why? Because basically right then and there, all you know is salvation. That's the truth you know. Well, that got you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, but there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it. So you got to know the truth. You got to know the truth so the truth will make you free. And I'm going to share something with you right now. Only the truth you know will make you free. That's why we study. That's why my wife and I, at our age, we're in Bible college. Because I want to know. I want to learn. I want to study. I want to know more about God. It's a, it's a process. I've got to tell you this. I don't care how old you are. You pass away. You go to heaven. You're going to still be hearing about it. I love this about Jesus. My passion is the kingdom of God. You know why? Because the Bible says Jesus went about preaching and teaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Every parable he gave, every message he gave, every sermon he gave, every example, everything he did pointed people into how to live in the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God was. You know what the Bible says when the end will come? It says when this gospel, this good news of the kingdom is preached. Well, you know, you've got to know what the kingdom is before you can preach the kingdom. So you need to be taught. You need to be discipled. You need to be learned in the Word. That's what a disciple means is a learner. That's the literal meaning of disciple is a learner, right? So you've got to learn. In my life, I've seen that the church is really, really good most cases of getting people to Christ okay Jesus said I'm the door I'm the gate no man comes to the father but through me and we go out and we we witness and we get people and we get people to the door we get them just inside the door we get them saved and we leave them alone say okay pastor Kevin they're yours now go for it no you caught the fish you clean the fish. You disciple the fish. You get them ready for the kingdom of God. Pastor will take care of the rest of the stuff, but they're your responsibility. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. <laughs> Amen? They're your responsibility. How am I going to disciple somebody if I've never been discipled myself? How am I going to teach somebody something I don't know? How am I going to share truth I don't have? So we all have to learn. And let me tell you, you never finish learning. For three and a half years, Jesus took his disciples, his learners, 
And he taught them about the kingdom of God. Morning till night, they saw it in example. They heard it in parables. And he told them, he said, not everybody can understand these parables, but he said, you have been given to understand what they mean, what the kingdom means. Told Peter, he said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. Everywhere you go, kingdom. He did that for three and a half years. And if you go read Acts chapter 1, when he got ready to be caught up, he said he was talking to him. You know what he was talking to him about? Things concerning the kingdom of God. Three and a half years, and then after he's re resurrected, after he's shown himself to his disciples, and just before he ascends, he's still talking about things concerning the kingdom of God. We need to know about the kingdom of God. We get people to the door. But there's so much on the other side of the door. We just got finished with a class on faith. I love how Brother Hankins would say that. He said, if you knew what was on the other side of your mountain, you'd move it. Amen? He told us. He said, you speak to this mountain, it'll get out your way. And if you knew what was on the other side of that mountain, what God had for you on the other side of that mountain, you'd move that mountain. It's your mountain, move it. Well, well, I need somebody to pray for me to do that. No, you move it. You move it. You know, we got we to gotta grow up, folks. We got to put on, we got to gird up our loins. I don't know if I should say this or not, but what's, what, what's that expression going around right now? Put on your big girl and boy pants. I'll say it like that. We need to put on our big girl and boy pants. It's our responsibility. We need, that's something that's missing in this society today. I'll just tell you all that right now. Every time something happens, every time something bad, we want to blame society, we want to blame the government, we want to blame this, we want to blame that. No. It might have something to do with it, but an individual does something stupid, it's because he's stupid. And he listens to stupid people. Amen? It's personal responsibility. I do something wrong, it's my fault. That's missing today. Everybody wants to blame somewhere else. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. No, it's the sorry rascal's fault. Nobody else's fault. Just his. Righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's something we can't do for ourselves. That's something we have to receive and put on. Paul was big about putting on and taking off. Putting on and taking off. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when the devil comes to you and tells you, you know, you're a sorry rascal, you ain't doing nothing, you ain't doing good, God can't forgive you, you've been too bad. All the stuff you've done in your life, whoo, Lord, nobody can forgive you. No, it's not my righteousness that matters. The Bible says all our righteousness is like filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one, except Jesus. So we put on his righteousness. So now I've got some truth. Now I've got some righteousness. But you know, if you're going to walk anywhere... You better have your shoes in good shape. Amen. You don't want to have all this heavy armor walking down them 
roads in the Middle East in the rocks barefooted, you ain't going to go far. You're going to be hurting. You need a good pair of shoes. So Paul tells us, he said, prepare your feet. Shod your feet. Put on the shoes that was prepared by the gospel, the good news of shalom, the good news of peace, salvation, made whole, spirit, soul, body. There again, discipleship. There again, learning. I got to learn. My feet's got to be ready to walk when I need to walk. My feet's got to be ready to stand when I need to stand. My feet need to be prepared for whatever I need to do. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I think it's funny, but I've just got a weird sense of humor. But, you know, the Romans were pretty shrewd. They had a pretty big empire, and they held on to it and controlled it for over 600 years. That's a big accomplishment. You think about how old the United States is, and think about them. They ran about everything that was known at that time for over 600 years. Well, there wasn't enough Italians in Italy to fill up the armies that they needed or spaghetti to feed them. So as they'd go through these towns, they'd go through these countries, they instituted the first draft. And they would take big old fellas like that guy right there, and they'd say, you're you going to be a soldier in the Roman army. Well, I don't want to be. I don't care. Come here. <laughs> you're going to be a soldier. And that wasn't really a bad job in those days. Roman soldiers were treated pretty good. They were fed good. They were paid fairly well. And if they survived long enough, they retired okay. They got a little pension. Now that was the Roman soldiers. Now these draftees, some of them didn't mind fighting. Some of them were a little reluctant. So the ones that were a little reluctant to fight, they usually stationed them around something that they wanted to protect, like the general's tents or supplies or something like that. Because what they would do is the shoes that they had had little grummets at the end of them. And they would take a spike. And they would hammer that grummet down. Now he could do this and he could do this, but he couldn't do that. <laughs> he was stuck where he was. So that way they were well motivated to fight. Otherwise they would not have been and they would have run away. Something else that's interesting about the armor that the Roman soldier wore. There weren't nothing on the backside. There was no protection on the backside. You had a breastplate, you had a shield, you had a sword, you had a helmet, you had things around your feet, you had those deals right there over your shins. But if you turned your back, all you had was your underwear. <laughs> so that motivated the soldiers to continue to move forward and not turn his back and run away. They were shrewd people. They were, I mean, they ran the world for 600 years for a reason. But preparing for the gospel of peace speaks very much to discipleship. The other night in chapel, uh, Pastor Liz said something. You know, somebody will say something sometime and it'll just poof. You don't get it all, but you get a poof. Hmm. That, 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 that needs to be studied. That needs to be 
She said something about, Lord told her she was rushing around, you know, this day and time we rush and rush and rush. Everybody's rushing. Get, a, get mad if you got to wait five minutes more than normal at the drive-thru. We all, we all rushing. Oh, got to go, got to go. Time, 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 time. Pastor Liz said the Lord told her, slow down. Slow down. What you heard? Slow down. You miss things. You know, God don't have an opportunity to show you nobody that you need to talk to when you rush, 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 rush. That was going off, and I got to thinking. I said, well, you know, that's discipleship. I want to read you something. I'm going to read it out of this little New Testament. If you don't have one of these, you ought to get one. It, it, it done a lot of the studying for me. <laughs> Especially in the Greek stuff. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. We know this is the Great Commission. <coughs> in this Bible, it says, The Commissioning of the Disciples. And the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus appointed to them. And when he saw them, he, they paid homage to him, but some of them doubted. Then when Jesus came, he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, there's one of them therefores again. When you see a therefore, why is it therefore? It's there because all authority, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and in earth. He says, so you go, you must now make disciples. And that's the tense of the Greek when he's saying that. Go and make disciples. He said, you must go now and make disciples of all the heathens, teaching them... To keep the things that I have been commanding you, behold, I am with you until the end of this age. You must go now and make disciples. Make disciples. What about converts? Well, it's part of being a disciple, isn't it? But there's a little more to it than that. You know, the church, from the time that Jesus went up into heaven and the Holy Spirit fell and they began ministering and then they, they began to spread out because of persecution. The first couple of hundred years, Christianity went everywhere just about. And then the devil decided, <clears throat> okay, this is not working. Feeding them to lions, getting them torn apart, that's not working. So, what can I do to stop this? Well, I know what I'll do. I'll make the church part of the state. And I'll, I'll get it up in a little group. And, 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 and we'll start letting, them have, start letting them have traditions. We'll take some of these old heathen rituals and we'll make Christian rituals out of them. And we'll get people, church, busy doing stuff in the church. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. The Bible says for us to not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And your best friends, better than your family, is sitting right here in this building for you. It's your church family, because that's your eternal family. And I believe in the church, and I believe in everything that the church stands for. But I'm just letting you know how the devil got us off track and got us off into some other things. I read an article a while back, and 
I couldn't find the article when I went to look for it for this message. Talking about if we'd have followed the kingdom principle of discipleship. How far the word of God would have gotten. And those 11 disciples that saw Jesus leave, they ran the math on it. If one disciple took one person and discipled that person for a year, taught them the things concerning the kingdom of God, taught them how to sit, taught them how to walk, taught them how to stand. We did that with somebody for one year. Then the next year, he finds somebody and you find somebody else. It's what, six billion, five billion people in the world today? I forget the number, but anyway, it would have, we, we would have more than double, we would have reached more than double the population of the world today if that would have been followed. So I got to thinking, hmm, a nice little church here in Lake Charles, run about 150, 200 people most of the time. I got to thinking, what if 10 people in this church, 10 people, would decide, okay, I'm going to find one friend, one sinner friend, and I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to become his friend. You know, you got to be a friend to win somebody to the Lord. Amen. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were always upset with Jesus because he's always hanging out with sinners. He said, you're a friend of sinners. Well, yeah, he said, I didn't come to the well, people. I, was, I come to the sick folk. So he hung out with sinners. He made friends with sinners. But if every one of you would take, or ten people would take one person and disciple that one person for a year, one year, next year there'd be 20 of you. That don't sound like a lot. Five years, there'd be 320 of you. Amen? Well, it still don't sound like a whole lot, huh? It seems like, oh, we could do, we could have programs and reach more people than that. But, after five years, those 320 people continue to do this in 10 years. You know how many folks you've reached? 10,240. Now there's 10,240 disciples. And then they're going to go in the 11th year and they're going to keep on. In 15 years, you will have reached 327,680. And I know some of you young folks are thinking, 15 years, man, that's a long time. Uh -uh. No. Goes before you know it. Goes before you know it. I read some good old Facebook the other day. He so said, I didn't mind, I don't mind getting old. I just thought it would take longer. <laughs> that's kind of where we at right now. I don't mind getting old. I just thought it had taken longer. It's going by way too fast. The 20th year which is not a long time, 20 years. Those 10 people that started, now in 20 years you would have 10,485,760 disciples. Slow down. Slow down. God ain't in a hurry. You know, God doesn't see how all this ends. He said, I saw the end from the beginning and I'm going to bring it all the way to pass the way I said I was going to do it in Genesis. And if you want to see the, how it started, go read Genesis. If you want to see how it ends, go read Revelation. And in between, that's us. We do it, we do it, we do it. 
But if we just slow down, take our time, make a friend with someone, share Christ with that person, and then start discipling them. Well, Brother Don, I don't know how to disciple somebody. Okay, fine. Good place to start. You, you and him disciple each other. Here's how you do it. Here's how I would do it. First book I'd buy, Power of Identification in Christ by Mark Hank. First book. I'd get them to understand where they're sitting. Amen. I'd get them to understand who they are in Christ. I'd get them to understand their seat. Second book I would hand to them is the Spirit of Faith. Just happens to be the f first two classes we took in Bible school. But the Spirit of Faith would teach you how to walk. So now I've taught them where they sit. Now I've taught them how the, to walk. Third book I'd give them, I may be going off off reservation a little bit now, but this is just me. This is what I would do. Not Pastor Kevin. He may come out next week and rebuke me. That's all right. Wouldn't be the first time. But the third book I would give them is Miles Monroe. Rediscovering the Kingdom. And you learn how to put all the other two together and learn how to stand as a soldier. Watchman Nee wrote this, the book, The Spiritual Man, and he talked about spiritual warfare. And that's what standing is about. That's what your armor is about. It's standing against the enemy. It's standing against powers and principalities. I think y'all said this. In a thing. You know, your thoughts, not all your thoughts are your thoughts, okay? That's where the evil spirits work. That's where the devil works. He, they put thoughts in your mind. It's really all they can do. He's the defeated foe. He goes about as... A roaring lion. He ain't a roaring lion. He ain't got no teeth. Jesus took them at the cross. He goes about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour unless you let him. And then he's going to gum you to death because he ain't got no teeth. I mean, that'd take a long time to gum you to death. I mean, take some responsibility. Yeah. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's where we stand. Let me finish with the rest of this stuff before I get too far away. Helmet of salvation. That speaks of the part of our body that's very, very critical. Matter of fact, all five senses are located in this head or in your head. You see it, you're hearing, you're smelling, tasting. And touch it. Don't think you can touch something with your head? You ever bumped it? <laughs> the helmet of salvation. Sozo. Made whole. Spirit, soul, and body. When the devil comes into your ears to start telling you these lies. To start telling you you ain't worth it. You ain't no good. You ain't never going to make it. You're, 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 you're too bad. Or, you know what? You need to do this. Or, you need to do that. Or, you know what? Pastor ain't right. That pastor ain't right. That pastor ought to be doing this. That pastor ought to be doing that. I don't like this. I don't like that. All that coming into your head. All that coming into your head. If you ain't got the helmet of salvation on, you're going to listen to that junk. Start to say something else. You're going to listen to that junk. Amen? You're going to listen to that junk. You're going you're gonna to become... I never forget a... Uh, I actually met the man. He was, he's a great man of God. His name was Bob Mumford. Some of you may have heard of him before. He was, he's a, uh, was a Bible teacher, kind of retired now. He's getting pretty old. 
But he said something one time. He said, the Lord told him, he said, Bob, calling you to the ministry. And Bob's funny. He's from Australia. He got this, you know, kind of Aussie accent. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, I don't mind sheep. How many goats? I wish I'd have paid attention to that when I was pastor. The sheep are fine. Ain't no problem taking care of the sheep. It's them smelly goats that give you the trouble. You know how you can tell a goat? They're always button something. <laughs> Seriously, they're always button something. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but. But, you know, you know but. They're always button something. Oh, sheep, he's just kind of happy. he go around and eat his good, get his grass, get his water, he's good. But that goat's always looking for trouble. Always looking to stir something up. What are you, a sheep or a goat? I'm just, I'm just asking. I've been both. And I don't mind confessing to you. I've been both. And I've been wrong. And you know, some, anyway, it's just something we all have to grow to. But you know what? If I'd have had a brother that had their feet prepared in this, that had been discipled by somebody, that could have took me and discipled me and said, look here, now wait a minute. Christ is the head of the church. And when Christ went to heaven, he gave us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the building up of the saints so Pastor Kevin could do the work. Mm -mm. Building up of the body of Christ for the saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And we grow up as a mature person. See, if we had had people like that, we wouldn't make near the mistakes we make. So that's something I think as a church we need to kind of concentrate on. Think about getting somebody, being a friend to them, disciple them. And if you don't know how to disciple, get with somebody that does. Or better yet, come to Bible college. It's great. We were sitting here the other night. I got to tell this. I'm going to have to quit. I got to tell this. We were sitting here the other night and... Nicole had just finished the uh, chapel, and she said, all right, she said, two Bible classes down. How many is ready for the third one? Everybody ready to hear about marriage? And me and Pat sitting right there, I said, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> We've been married 45 years, fixing to be married 46 years in January. I told Nicole this morning, I said, oh, we ought to get an honorary, at least an honorary B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've made it that long. But you know what? There's a lot of standing in being married that long. There's a lot of standing when the devil's trying to say this and say that and put all kind of stuff in your head about, well, my wife don't appreciate me. She don't love me. She, don't, she just worries about this. She just worries about that. Yeah. It's all noise. It's all white noise. It's all stuff coming into the head. Without that helmet of salvation, you ain't got the sense enough to say, shut up, devil. Shut up. Just shut up. It's all good. When God had joined together, let no man put asunder. We made that decision. It was tough. If nothing else, we made every mistake that you could possibly make. And we still made it because we had God in it. Off and on the first 10 years, 15 years maybe, off and on, we, we, we was black backsliders. Our backs was real slicky. We'd get in a while and shoop, we'd slip right out. Get in in a little while and shoop, 
slip right out. Get in a little while, shoop, and finally, we hung. We hung. 1985, 84, we got in and we stayed in. And it's been beautiful ever since. Have we had troubles? Yeah. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. In this world, you will have tribulation. But you know what else he said? Be happy. I've overcome the world. You know what that means to me? It means he done won the battle of my tribulation before the tribulation ever even got there. I'm walking in victory because I'm seated at the right hand of Christ. I look down on all that trouble. Never had a problem that I couldn't overcome with God's help. Amen. Stand. There's a lot to standing. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Sit, rest, relax. I'm a child of God. I'm seated next to the king. That helps me get out and walk and be friends with people and share the gospel and know what's coming up. Then when I get attacked, I put that armor on and I take that shield of faith. You know what helped me with my faith? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he has to repent. Has he not said and will he not do? Has he not spoken and will he not bring it to pass? When you understand the king of kings, the king of the universe said that, it's done. Nobody can change it. Nobody can change his mind. I want to close by reading something real quick. When Watchman Nee passed away, they called his family. Uh, he and his wife had no children, so they called his niece to come to the prison. And by the time they got there, the communist guards had already cremated him. Scattered his ashes, threw him in a pile, I guess, or whatever, whatever they do. But one of the old guards brought the niece a note. A little old note. It was written. She said, you could tell in a shaking hand. It was found under his pillow when he died. These are Watchman Nee's last words to us. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watchman Nee, that was his last word. There is no greater truth in the universe. Christ died for you. He was resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's coming again. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what all this stuff is going. I read the end of the book. We win. It's all good. Just keep working. When's he coming back? I don't know, but I want, I want to know this. I want to be working when he gets here. I don't want to be huddled over here in some little holy mass waiting to be exited. I want to be out doing stuff. I want to be reaching people. I want to be praying for people. I don't pass too much anymore. I work as uh, I'm, I'm ch uh, chaplain with Bright Bridge Hospital. So this has been a blessing to be able to sit up here today and preach, I think, mostly a happy, happy message. Because most of the time I'm in a suit preaching a funeral. But you know what? If I know that that person has received the Lord before they died or we've made it better for them or to slip. Pat had one the other day. I know June has some. I've had them. 
You know, it's easy to stand up there and preach a funeral when you know the person's going on. Boy, that's when you can share the resurrection. That's when you can share the blessed hope and the paradox of Christianity. While there's grief and sadness on this side, there's rejoicing and happiness on the other side. Amen. Amen.